0: What do Christians pray for in the first petition? In the first petition, which is hallowed or hallowed be your name, Christians pray that God would enable them and others to glorify him in all that whereby or the ways by which he makes himself known and that he would dispose all things to his glory. And of course, the scripture text is Matthew 6, 9b, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the first question is, and this is about the structure of the prayer, what are the number and divisions or division of the petitions in this model prayer? The short answer is there are six petitions and they're divided into two sets of three. So there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Three requests, three askings. And they're divided into three plus three. The first three address God's interests more directly than the last three. Fisher, you all know who that is now. Fisher says, the first three bear a more immediate respect to God, the last three to ourselves. And, and that's right on the face of these, right? It's, they're, they're, they're about and for God, whereas the other three focus more on us under God. Like the Ten Commandments, these six petitions present God's concerns first and then our concerns, right? What our duty is to God in the first four, what our duty is to our fellow man in the last six. That's how the Ten Commandments are broken up. Well, these are 3 and 3. Godward manward. This shows that prayer for God's direct interests and glory are primary and that our own interests and needs, though legitimate, are secondary. This ordering applies the general principle found in Matthew 6:33. It applies it to prayer. Seek first the kingdom of God in all of life, including prayer. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. There's the first three and the second three. There they are. So here we're, we are taught to petition for God's glory first and our own well-being second. All right? So that's the number and divisions. Secondly, This is an important question. What does hallowed or hallowed mean? That's not a word we use very often, at least in everyday speech. Hallowed means to set apart as holy. To keep sacred. Not so much to make sacred as to keep something that already is sacred, sacred. It means to honor or reverence or glorify. So hallow is the verb form of the word holy. So holy is the noun. It's the thing. To hallow is the verb form of that same word. This, again, in our day and age, uncommon word is most often used in this prayer. But another usage you may be familiar with that helps us understand its meaning really, really well, actually, is found in President Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Let me quote part of that to you. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was a man who read his Bible his whole life. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if he was a real Christian or not, but he was completely steeped in his Bible. He, he thought in, in biblical forms. He, he knew. And that was true, of course, of, of a lot of men in his age but it was certainly true of him. And when it uh, came out through his gift of an eloquent mouth, uh, it, it often was wonderful to listen to. Right? Here's what he said, and, and you, many of you would know these words. Here he is at the Gettysburg battlefield. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that this nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. Now now listen to the distinction he makes. But in a larger sense, he's just said we're dedicating an area of land here, right? Then he goes on to say, But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. There's the word. We cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have consecrated it far above our poor power. You see, by listening to his words, we come to understand that hallowed means to consecrate, to dedicate, to make holy in some sense. That's what hallow means, to be set apart for a sacred purpose. Lincoln said, to honor these men and their cause, we come to hallow this ground. That is to mark it out as holy, to show our reverence, to recognize that something very special and important happened here, holy in, a, in the human realm, not in the divine realm. We come, he said, to glorify the memory of these men by setting this site apart. And yet, remember, he goes on to say, even as we do this, in one sense, all we can do is recognize that the ground is already hallowed. Like, them saying it's hallowed ground didn't make it hallowed ground. What made it hallowed was men fought and died there. It's already made sacred by the bravery and commitment of those men. So Lincoln's speech illustrates a proper use of the word hallow in a human context that also happens to be correct when we're speaking of hallowing God's name. Just as the hallowing of the Gettysburg Cemetery was said by Lincoln to be just a recognition of ground that was already consecrated to liberty, so our hallowing God's name doesn't in an ultimate sense make it holy. It's already holy. He and it are already sacred. We are just recognizing that it's holy and sacred. It, it's a lot, it, it's very similar to when we talk about glorifying God. Right? We talked about this way back in question one. When we glorify God, we don't make God great. We sometimes use that language. We don't actually make God great. God is already great, He's already perfect. When, when humans glorify him, we are simply recognizing that he's already great. Now, we're spreading that glory around. We're telling it to others. We're living it out. We're worshiping, hopefully. But we don't actually add the weight of glory to God. God is already, what is it, kabod, weighty, heavy, because he's so great. Well, to hallow God's name isn't to make it holy. It's already holy. It's God. But it's to recognize that it's holy. It's to treat him as if he's holy. It's to treat him according to the accuracy that he reveals himself to us. We say yes. We say amen. Your name is holy. So we're not infusing holiness into God, he's already holy. We don't infuse or grow honor or glory in God, he's already that to the perfect degree. We're just recognizing what's already true. So when we pray that God's name would be hallowed in this world, we're asking that men, we're speaking to ourselves and to each other, to believers and unbelievers, and we're saying, you should glorify God because of the intrinsic worth of him and his name. We're desiring that God's name be set apart in our minds and lives as it should. Thus the use of the word glorify in the answer to expound what hallowed means. This is part of why it's so very wicked to use God's name lightly, let alone in a curse. His name is who he is. It reflects who he is. And he is the weightiness of perfection. (laughs) He's the fullness of being. And to talk as if to act as if he's not, is to defame him. So we want to always be careful. Um, but that's what hallowed means. It means to, to set apart as holy something that already is, in this case. Question three. What does God's name represent? And we've talked about this in the past, because we, uh, when we study the third commandment and other things, but it's always good to be reminded of this. What does God's name represent? Well, God himself in all the ways that he reveals himself. That's in the Bible what God's name means. God does not have to name himself. He does not have to describe himself to us in the scriptures, but he does. He very graciously condescends and he speaks in human language in ways that are true and yet, of course, don't in one sense do. him full justice because we can't, we can't take that in he lisps to us and we believe what he says and in all of these all of these descriptions all of these names all of these titles all of these attributes those are all the names of God those are all ways that God describes himself all right so when we use this language historically the church doesn't mean only name in the proper sense that we sometimes use it today, like Ronald Dale Miller. That's my full name and nothing else. Well no, with God it's whatever the names are like that that He's told us, you know, Yahweh or Jehovah, Adonai or El or, or Elohim, or all those things. But also when he says, I am love, I am vengeance, I am mercy, I am, I am the truth. I am those are all names or accurate descriptions of who God is in himself. Those aren't just, you know, sometimes he's some of this. No, that's who God is. And so those are the names of God as well. So it's a, it's a bit broader. We're, we're using the, na- the, the word in a broader sense than we normally do today. God discloses himself to his image bearers, right? So... So because we have a connection with him, because we reflect him, we can actually understand when he speaks to us. My dogs, as lovable as they are most of the time, in a certain sense they glorify God just by being dogs, by doing what he created them to do, but they can't understand. They can't take in the the definitions that God gives us in the word that he gives in names and other things and, and then respond back to that. They don't have that ability. So God's name represents himself, or maybe more accurately, as he has gloriously revealed himself. So the prayer, this prayer is the righteous man's desire that God, in all of his known character and work, would be glorified. In other words, any time God is rightly talked about, this is hoping, praying, desiring, asking that men would go. That men would go, oh, God is great. That they would go, right? that they would reverence him. It is the hope that we and all men might imitate the psalmist in Psalm 111. When after rehearsing the mighty deeds and acts and wonders and salvation and character of God, here's what he says, holy and awesome is your name. You see, because all those things are his name. All those things describe him. Even his works expound who he is. So this first petition is that men might be given eyes to see the majesty of God and so fulfill their created end of glorifying God and enjoying him forever. It's a plea that the knowledge of God might cover the earth as waters cover the sea. So that men from the west and the east might raise their voices, shout for joy, acclaim the Lord's majesty, and sing glory to the righteous one, Isaiah 11 and 24. Oh, that men might say, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Right? This is the first thing we pray for in this petition, that God's glory... Not that, it might, not that it would increase. God's glory can't increase. But that the knowledge of his glory would increase. God can't be any more glorious than he already is. But men don't know that. So we, this is a prayer that God's greatness would be known by more and more people. This is an evangelistic prayer. This is a prayer for people to be converted. To have the scales removed from their eyes. For them to say, God is in this place. and and I fall down and repent. That's what this is a prayer for. This is no little trite religious phrase that, oh, that's a nice way to start a prayer. No, no, no. No. It's interesting, as I was studying this this, entire catechism, I don't think it was the first time, but maybe the second time. This is the third time, the third church. I've been through the whole catechism with a a body of believers. And... um, But in one of those previous times, I noticed that this question about God's name and glory are in question one. And they're, depending on exactly how it's numbered, it's sometimes off by one or two in each direct, you know, just depending on a few things. But it's question one, it's question 57, and then it's uh, question 109. It's basically, it's the very first, and it's right smack dab in the middle, and it's right here at the end. And of course, God's glory, it should be. Right? God, God should be who we're looking at. in the middle, in the beginning, and in the end. Uh, alpha and Omega. All right, let's go to question uh, four. What is God's chief end? We all know how to answer the question, what's man's chief end? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, what's God's chief end? Yeah, to, to glorify himself. <laughs> To glorify God and enjoy himself forever. And he does it perfectly. Right? He does it perfectly. That's why children never think that God was lonely before he made human beings. He doesn't need you and me. He wasn't lonely. In the perfection of the three persons, he had what the Bible calls blessedness. Complete and pure happiness. And he still does, and he always will, because that's who he is, and he never changes. So God's chief end is to hallow his name. It's to dispose all things to his glory. This is God's great goal. That's why it's our goal. If we follow God, that's why it becomes our goal. It's not like we have a higher goal or better goal than he does. We just learned it from him. We're just imitating him. And we're praying that God's great goal would be achieved. Jesus prayed this way in John twelve twenty eight. What's he say? Father, glorify your name. <laughs> That's this prayer. And the father answered yes in the latter half of this verse when he said... I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Glorify your name. I have, and I will. You can rest in that. It is certain. So we pray, as Fisher says, that he would be pleased daily to demonstrate his name more and more to the world to be what it really is most holy and most glorious so as to excite that adoration and esteem which is due to him for he says i will be sanctified in them that come nigh or near to me and before all the people i will be glorified all right, leviticus 10:3 this is god's due this is what's owed him this is his right So not only we, but also he (laughs) rightly seeks it in all things and at all times. Okay. Question five. Why do we ask God to do what we already know he will do anyway? Wait a minute, Pastor Ron. God decreed all things. We know why he's decreed him to glorify himself. Like, why are we bothering to pray if we already know what's going to happen? And, of course, there are many examples of questions we could ask that one about. This one, in some senses, is perhaps the ultimate one. But here's, a, here's, I hope, a helpful answer to that. And there are other good answers to this question. But here's, here's a, a, what I think is a good answer, a biblical answer. Why do we ask God to do what we know he will do anyway? To show that prayer is not about bending his will to ours, but ours to his. We begin praying this way. Father, bring your will about, not mine. that's, That's what we're saying. Your ultimate goal, what you know is best, you do that. You do that, please. It's bending our will to his. All things have to be done with an eye to God's glory. So how can we pray for things against God's revealed character or his will or with selfish motives or about things that would seem to us to have no bearing about glorifying God? Well, obviously we cannot and we must not pray that way. We must learn that prayer is about aligning our desires and petitions with God's desires and goals. But, but, But how will I get what I need? Remember, his glory is our greatest good. And so it's as simple as God will take care of you. It's just that simple. (laughs) And faith says, that's enough. That's that's enough. His glory is our greatest good, and so God will take care of us. Again, let me repeat, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Well, question six. What kind of requests does this petition teach us to make? Um, In other words, this first petition, what are different ways of thinking about? How how might we actually pray, not just in, in these exact words, but how could we use other words or ask for other things that would achieve this end? And here are four, I think it's four, yes, here are four ideas for that. Again, undoubtedly there are more found in the Bible, but here are some. First, for the deliverance of God's church. Psalm 79, 9, help us, O God our Savior, for the glory of your name. Help us so you will be glorified. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. So that's one way to pray. It's a weighty thing in God's mind to have his name and glory appealed to for the rescuing of the elect. That carries weight with him. Why? Because it matches his will. That will redound to his glory. His name will be hallowed. So that's a that's a safe prayer. Not only to pray, but you know it's going to be answered. The scripture is full of examples of men pleading with God to save his people so that his reputation among men would be made more glorious. Save, save, so that people would know how great you are. Yes, if people get saved, it's good for them. Yes, it's good for their families. Yes, it's good for the world. In a certain sense, it's most good for God because he will be glorified when that happens. Yes, the angels rejoice. Yes, sins are put off in the devil, but the best thing is God's name is hallowed when someone is saved. So we can pray today, for example, that God would reform his church, would sanctify his church, would improve us according to the word of God. So we wouldn't be like the world. We'd be less like the world and more like a bright display of his glory instead of a dim one. Because then God's church will clearly display his unique goodness. We can pray that God would forgive our sinful disunity or our disaffection with one another or heal us for his namesake. We can pray that God would deliver his persecuted saints in ways that would make the world marvel at him. That's all one way, right? Based in the Bible, the basic prayer of God, deliver your people so, your name would be glorious. So, that'd be one way for God's name to be hallowed. All right? Here's a second way for the defeat of God's enemies. Obviously, if the saving of the elect, the plundering of the strong man's house by a stronger man, is, is glorious, well, defeating that enemy must be glorious as well. Again, Psalm 83. Verses 16 to 18. Cover their faces with shame so that men will seek your name, O Lord. There it is. God's name being hallowed. May they ever be ashamed and dismayed. May they perish in disgrace. Let them know that you, whose name is the Lord, that you alone are the most high over all the earth. Now in the Old covenant age and in the new covenant age God's enemies are defeated in one of two ways God either converts them to become allies or he deserts them and they destroy themselves right he either converts them or he deserts them that's only there's two kinds of men in the world there are two paths of life there's one God and everyone chooses yay or nay and God either saves or Or he leaves them alone and says, that's what you want. You can have what you want. Yeah, you can't charge me with ill. I will be the God of grace to you, and I will be the God of justice to you. So we can rightly pray that God would bring a sense of shame to men so they would seek his name. We want men opposed to God to learn and acknowledge his rightful place as the king of the universe. We're really not interested in, in people having a slightly better opinion about Jesus. You know, I've come to realize that he wasn't wrong all the time. In fact, sometimes he's actually got kind of a moral point to his, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a pretty good man. Oh, he's nothing of the sort. He's either the immaculate God-man or he's a liar. He's a fake. He's a fraud. There's nothing in between. He's either who he says he is or or you you shouldn't be listening to him for an instant. Well, of course, he is who he says he is. He is the God-man. He is the only savior of the world. He is the king of the world. And so if they will not, we pray that God will glorify himself in their just destruction. What does Paul say in the new covenant at the end of his first or second Corinthians? If anyone doesn't love the Lord, let him be accursed. Let him be damned. Let him go to hell. Here's a third uh, way we could pray for this this same thing. For more useful opportunities of service. Guess where I'm going to go to show that prove this. Yeah, another psalm. Sorry. To none of you men's surprise. Psalm 67, 1-2. to two. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Why? So I can just take all the good things from God and waste them on myself. Oh, it'll be so good. Life will be great. This is the life. No, that's not where the psalmist goes with it. Do all of that, please, Father. So that your ways may be known on earth. Your salvation among the nations. So that God's name would be great. So that it would be hallowed. We should be petitioning God for more pastor teachers to be raised up in his true churches. For more missionaries. For more uh, ministry opportunities. For all of us. For some of you, that's with your children. Pray that God would give you more opportunities with your children than you have now. For some of you, it's with your neighbors or your coworkers. For some of you, it's, it's because of your situation in life and gifts. You know, you, you have a wider audience to, to be able to do this. For some of you, your opportunities are quite restricted. Don't, don't worry about how wide it is. Just be faithful where God has placed you. Yes. Right? Do that. That's what you're praying for here. Hallowed be your name means give me a wider usefulness so that more people can call you glorious. We want the nations to be glad and to sing for joy when they recognize that the glorious God reigns. Well, fourth and finally, for hearts set more intensely on the hallowing of God's name. You know, shouldn't the dishonor that God, God's name is daily abused by or with shouldn't that really cut us to the heart shouldn't that righteously anger us shouldn't that sicken us shouldn't that grieve us shouldn't we have a greater longing that god's name would be esteemed and revered yes yes because this is our ultimate end romans eleven thirty six for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen we know too little of this motive and feeling then let us ask our heavenly father teach me to desire that your name would be hallowed more than it is you know it's a righteous appeal to his heart and this aim is his chief delight so why wouldn't he give this good gift to his children when they ask well may god grant us an intense desire to hallow his name in our lives for the good of men Yes, but for God's great glory.